0: Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash Last week we started a sermon series for the first time um, and the title of it is a really catchy, it's called First Job. Yeah, we really come up with crazy slogans here. And the reason I bring it up is because I personally, and I'm going to give just a brief backstory for some of you guys who weren't here last week. But the reason I bring it up is First John, um, I was studying it a few months ago and it was fascinating to me because of uh, what I would say the, the seniority that John holds in scripture. Right, So if you know anything about Jesus, you know that Jesus, we believe he's the son of God, the Messiah sent to earth, crucified on our behalf for our sin, raised back to life. And in being raised back to life, right, He he kind of ushers in this new relationship in which the law is not just associated with a priesthood and a temple, but it's written on your heart. And you can, you can have an awareness and a relationship with his spirit that then guides you through everything you go through. Now, what happens is the church explodes and it's incredible and all this awesome stuff is happening. But at the same time, there's also persecution. There's also all types of different, um, ideologies and theologies that develop outside of this that are contrary to the way. And so, so John kind of steps up because he's one of the only disciples who doesn't die, literally And what I want to do is I actually want to point out a few things That you need to realize why First John is important See, it is the last of the letters written Most believe dating 85 to 95 AD He is the only apostle alive And for context, this letter is written 30 years after the apostle Paul's death 30 years after Paul dies, this letter is being sent out. So all of Paul's letters, it's been decades since he's sent anything out. John has seen it all when this is written. He's lived through both Jesus' literal ministry, the establishment of the church, the furthering of the gospel in world mission, the persecution of the church of Nero and Rome in the AD 60s, and now the rise of false doctrines. This letter is a realignment to Jesus' life and message to what he is seeing in the world right in front of him. The next is the letter is a rebuke to secularization of what was once sacred. Those claiming higher being than biblical morality, weaponizing the spirit in ways to control others. He's pointing people back to Jesus as the author and finisher of all things. John's perspective on faithfulness and suffering is unrivaled and this is personally why i believe first john is one of the most important books we can study rome tried to boil him in oil and kill him many believed they also tried to poison him he's exiled for a period of one to three years all of his friends have been martyred all of them Someone who walked with Jesus but suffered for him in the most profound ways. See, it's easy to find people who've walked with Jesus today, but do we know people who have been resiliently steadfast in the face of suffering and sacrifice? Those are the people who have earned the right to be listened to. American Christian persecution is not persecution. But to go through pain and suffering literally, physically, and still choose Jesus... To sacrifice everything following him and walking that road this is a different level of witness this is the witness we are studying today 1st John is not just a man who wrote something out he's somebody who lived it to such an extreme level that it's a privilege for us to learn from his life so today last week what we did is we broke down 1st John 1 this week guess what we're breaking down 1st John 2 (laughs) Just in case you didn't know where we were going mm-hmm. Also, if you didn't know where we're going We're going to be in this book for. I was, I was literally written, breaking down the passages I was going to go through And I was like, wow, we are going to be in 1 John for three months I've never done that before But like I said, I just felt such a kind of profound unction On this book in studying it That I wanted us to kind of break it down And once again, the sermon title was just incredible So I wanted to make sure we really utilized that well thought I'd get more laughs but it's fine. <laughs> you know this 1st John 2 which we're going to talk about today is really if if you know and you were here last week what 1st John 1 is about is this insane introduction to God is light. Okay? Now many of us are like oh wow God is light Profound insight Micah It's like no actually it was a profound insight Because Jesus has said he was the light of the world But John is reminding people that God is the illumination He is the thing that brings light, brings growth it bring, There's so much to the word usage And you can go back and listen We don't really do anything live But you can listen to it on our podcast stuff but this week, what's interesting is that the first chapter of 1st John is this idea that God is light. And the second, this second chapter of John is really what I'm calling today ingredients of a life in the light. Okay. Ingredients to a life in the light. And if I'm really honest right now is John is trying to bring people back to the fact to trust in Jesus as the truest and only source of light. And of life Now many of, you, many of you guys know Now me and my wife are pregnant With our first child, we're due in December I don't know why I'm bowing I don't have to do anything <laughs> I don't know why I'm bowing My wife is literally doing it all Deborah's in the back like Yeah you better not be bowing <sighs> uh. But here's the thing It's funny because Um We've been going, obviously, to our doctor's stuff and different things. But I I had a moment of, like, real terror um, at our second doctor's appointment. And I'm sitting there, and they're, like, scanning Grace and and the baby at that time. And they're, like, scanning it. And I'm, like, watching because I'm right next to the screen so, like, I can see it. And then I remember she types in she said she types it on the screen fetus number two and I remember dude the blood just going I'm like I'm like I I don't know where am I I'm on Mars and I remember sitting there and she types it and I'm like I know that you know that I saw you type that And I'm, like, looking, and I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm waiting for her to be, like, hey, I'm just looking. She doesn't say anything. So I'm sitting there in absolute terror for two minutes, just, like, dissecting my life. (laughs) And and I remember, finally, I just pipe up, and I'm, like, hey, so that fetus number two you just typed up. (laughs) Because Grace can't see the screen, but I'm looking at it, and I'm, like, she has typed this up and is looking, and I don't... I mean, I don't know if I like where this is headed. (laughs) Some of you guys are like, does that mean you hate kids? I know. Just two at once. (laughs) But she looks at me and she goes, oh, no, no, don't worry. Oh, I should have said, you know, it's more exploratory. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) could you preface that next time? But the best part is I'm sitting there and I go, wow, this is actually a great prank. And then I go, oh, this is great. I should text my mother-in-law. So literally I sit there I take a picture of my, of my wife On the table getting scanned And I said Big news And she's immediately What, what, what And starts blowing up my wife's phone And I just go Twins That's it <laughs> And she is She is I mean, 15 texts Are you serious? What? How? When? When? <laughs> you know And I'm like and, and I'm like Leaving it to where it's like I'm responding But it's every like You know not. Real quick, just enough to like build bro- blood pressure and and the best part is is grace's purse is next to me, and I can just hear her phone just and it 's vibrating the whole thing's just shaking on the floor and I remember i'm like i'm like sitting there, and the best part is is she is fully fully convinced I mean to the point that afterwards I had to call my father-in-law about something and he was like you just got Amy to literally believe that you were having to first soft 25 minutes uh, which I know she probably told 27 people but the best part was and so I, te- I text her and I'm texting her I'm texting her and finally I'm just I'm feeling a little convicted so then I just go okay well if this doesn't do it I don't know what is and then I said hold on wait they're seeing a third <laughs> She was like, okay, I know you're lying. I hate you so much. <laughs> but the reason I tell you that is because this, <laughs> some of you guys are like, where the freak is this going? <laughs> it's okay. Don't worry. I always, we can always land that plane, you know? The reason I tell you that is because she wasn't looking at the source She was looking at what she wanted to hear More grandkids Not, this is coming from Micah And he pulls my leg every day I'm alive But I say that because the source was me And the reasoning was I want grandbabies as quick as possible So I will ignore the warning signs if it's something I want If it turns out that hopefully it's true And what I'm trying to say is this, is check your sources because what she wanted circumvented what was right in front of her and what she wanted, what she needed to see and know. And the reason I say that is because this is the point of 1 John, is what's happening in the church is people are wanting things. And so instead of going and leading and gleaning from the source, which was Jesus... They're, they're contorting and turning and twisting things to make it into what they want because it's what they want. So this letter to First John is John saying, hey, guess what? There is, I am going to be a source that points back to Christ. But I'm such a source authoritatively by literally walking with Him and suffering alongside Him that the source that I am will point you directly to Him and there won't be this like, hey, let me try to kind of fit Jesus into my want box. And believe it or not, in Western culture, that's just who we are all the time. You can take away Jesus and it doesn't matter. We want to contort reality into our wants as much as humanly possible. And I wouldn't even say that's Western Christianity. I would just say that's humanity. So how, as we followers of God, make sure that we're not making our wants with a little bit of Jesus instead of Jesus influencing and changing the wants that we have. Let's read first. Some of you guys are like, you're going to ever read the Bible in this church? Yes, here we go. 1 <laughs> John 2, 1 through 11. Here we go. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate of the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself, the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Notice how aggressively forward John is getting here. You say you know him, do you do the commands? You say you know him, if you don't do the commands but claim relationship, you're a liar. Like I said, it's a little pointed. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So this is kind of our first thought process, right? Following the commands, following what's been written, following in the manner of Jesus. But what's interesting is right now, Going forward for the rest of this chapter, there's now an, uh, there's, there's a shift that happens, and you're going to see, and I'll bring it all together at the end. It says this, Beloved, verse 7, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The two major ingredients we can assimilate through 1 John 2 is this, is to live a life according to knowing God through his word and commands and living a life free of offense, bitterness, resentment, and cynicism. These two things, once again, First John 1 is all about how incredible this light is, why the light is present and what the light means. The second thing is this, is you've been, guess what, my children, you've been called into this light, but the only way you stay in this light is the word and the command and to love your brother and not hate your brother. And actually, I didn't read the last five verses. It's very similar in what it's communicating. The idea is this, is a life of the light, is knowing the Bible and refusing hatred, unforgiveness, bitterness, and dissension. And you know, I was reading this chapter this week and it was like, God, like I need, I'm like reading and studying. I'm like, God, are, like is there more profound wisdom from First John 2? And I felt like it was like, no, there isn't. And you know why there isn't is because these two simple things are so hard for us to do that it would take a lifetime of commitment in order to fully understand and see them lived out. I think we all know, and it's sad to say today that you can assess people who've been Christians for 25 years but have about four months of growth or four weeks or four minutes. And the reason being is because inside of our hardwired nature to come under God's command, to come under God's scripture, to forgive and not hate, to forgive and not be bitter. These things are not intrinsic to our humanity. And in our selfish and fallen nature, they're things that we'd much rather not live out. But if you want to live a light These are the ingredients. So with that, I want to give us a couple things, and really I'm kind of calling these things how to do what we know so we can grow in what we don't. How do we do what we know so we can grow in what we don't? And the reason I say that is because we can't do some things and not others. That's why the hypocritical nature of the church is alive and well today, is because we've cherry-picked the things that we're passionate about, And overlooked the things that we're not passionate about. Obedience is based on literal building blocks. You start with doing what you know, and then it fuels a passion for learning about what you don't know. Holiness and sanctification are not compartmentalized to your favorite subject titles. And the reason I say that is because I think a lot of us in this room, if we sat here, right, is we have basic elementary principles of how we can grow in God. And we sit in church sometimes and we go, God, why am I not growing? And God goes, well, it's because you have to grow in what you know before you can grow in what you don't. And as sad as it is today, we would rather grow in what we don't know than grow in what we do know and that's not the faith we're called to profess and that's why John is writing a letter that we're looking and saying wow these why is he writing this it's been 80 it's been over 50 years since Jesus has died why is this stuff still being talked about it's because for some reason decade after decade millennia after millennia we just cannot get these things down amen <laughs> We cannot get these things down. And so for some of us who are sitting in this room like, oh, here's another message on, okay, well, let's read the Bible and not be offended at people. You're probably one that needs to hear it. The first thing is this. If your beliefs aren't changing your behavior, your behavior will rewrite your beliefs. First John 2, 4 says, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. I love how it says liar because liar is just duplicitous truth. Right? It's truth that means one thing to somebody that is literally means another to somebody else. It's duplicitous truth. And the reason I say that is because I don't think a lot of us realize that our beliefs If they aren't changing our behavior, what happens over time is our behavior rewrites our beliefs in such a way that we don't even realize we're living out a lie because we've convinced ourselves it's the truth. And I pray today that we in this church don't realize realize that God's grace did not abolish God's law, it internalized it. It is written it on your heart and our basic moral grounds of right and wrong come from the law that has been imprinted upon us by God's new covenant. And as sad as it is to say, uh, we sit here and we say, God, I want you to change my behavior. But changed behavior comes from belief systems. Your belief system is the engine that that, that, that transforms your behavior. And a lot of us, we just go, man, I wish my behavior was better. Man, I wish I did. Man, I wish my behavior was. But man, why is not my behavior? Why? And God's like, well, if you had a stronger belief system, you wouldn't allow that behavior to exist. Our stronger belief system is the awareness of God's word and God's command. Our stronger belief system is, Father, I will not read your word at surface value. As this this idea of, oh, that's an interesting point of view, but I'll actually live this. I'll take it at not just what it says, but what it can do for me. That I know that you have created me with purpose in you, and so I will choose your purpose over my perceived potential. If your beliefs aren't changing your behavior, your behavior will rewrite your beliefs. The second one, Knowing the commands and doing the commands is what we're commanded. There should be some rigid routine inside of your relationship with God and Scripture. Don't be mad you're not full if you're not eating. The test of living in the light is growing in our knowledge and dependency of God's commands. You want to live in the light? Be in the book that turns on the switches of our hearts and minds to illuminate the proper way forward. Man, how many of us, right, we say, God, I want to be in the light, but we have no routine that actually allows the light to be present. We have a belief that if I go to church enough, if I see that Instagram reel or follow this this preacher or watch enough TikTok videos, man, I'm in it. How many of us have sat in the commands of God and said, Father, would this become the light that illuminates my path going forward? I can't tell you how many times, and, and it's funny because growing up, the statement of I was not, I'm not being fed was used quite often, but the realization is, is you were never supposed to be fed. You were supposed to feed yourself. And we can be in environments and we can be in places, but I'll tell you this, the greatest ability you could have is to feed yourself regularly and religiously from God's word that transcends and changes who you are. One of my earliest words I'll never forget, and I may have said this before, but for some of us it don't make sense. Is I was I was at a conference, and somebody came up to me and said, "Hey, can you can I give you a word?" And I was like, "Okay, well, this is weird, but sure." She looked at me and she said, "I you're a fungus." I was like, "You just call me moldy a little bit." Like. She said, "You're a fungus." And I'll never forget it because I was super young And I was just like, this is just weird And I was already a little bit apprehensive About this particular place And she looked at me, she said, you're a fungus You grow in darkness where no other person can And I'll never forget that Because that is something that I've lived on Is when it is dark, I'll grow When I have every excuse not to grow, I'll grow When my schedule is too packed, I will wake up earlier, I will go to bed later, I will prioritize the kingdom above anything else, I will have every other excuse not to do what I I don't care how dark, how much I've got, it doesn't matter. Amen. Out there, I'm getting shouted down. (laughs) How many of us have grown in the darkness? Because if you realize, right, we know that water and light are the basic components of growth. But how many of us have, can realistically say that in the darkest times we've grown? Because, man, there's something different about being able to say that. There's something different about a root system that has transcended condition, optimum conditions in which we've been able to thrive. What happens when the conditions aren't optimal? When the ingredients for growth haven't necessarily been there, have you been faithful? Have you been rigid? Have you had the habits and the dispositions to continue to go forward? Because this is what I mean by knowing the commands doing the co- and doing the commands of what's been commanded to us is for so long, we know the commands. We sometimes do the commands. And then we forget that the whole thing is about doing all of the commands. And I'm, I'm old enough, and by old enough, 31, <laughs> to where I remember saying all the time, oh, it's not religion, it's relationship. And now the overcorrection of we don't need the word, we don't need accountability, we don't need community, we don't need constraint, we can kind of do it all on our own. Now the correction is this, I recognize I need rigid religion. I'm I I'm to say I do. And for a lot of us what rigid religion sounds like is this controlling uh, mechanism and I'm not saying that's religion rigid religion is me saying god I need such a rigid habit based pattern and lifestyle of pursuing the commands of your word living out those commands and trusting that those commands change me and in that place I know there is a fullness that I could have never got on my own because this is the thing I think that for too long the church we've, we've like catfished people with like this prosperity gospel when really what people are looking at for is wholeness and fulfillment like I'm sorry like it, but, You can give me all the money, whatever, but I'm going to choose wholeness and fulfillment. And if we can model wholeness and fulfillment in a world that just says, oh, just reach for money, just reach for money, just have a bigger house, just get more cars, get more stuff. There's a reason that that's coming up empty and it's come up empty since the dawn of time. Richest man, go read Solomon's works in Ecclesiastes. I promise, it's some interesting insight. Fear God. Keep his commands. This is the end all and the be all. See, what we don't realize is I'm looking at, standing up here saying rigid religion and follow commands, and a lot of us are feeling the friction of what that is, but really... The reason we're feeling that friction is because the enemy's trying to tell you, dang, that might be the key to your wholeness and fulfillment. I hope that they run from that. I hope they run from what he's saying because wholeness and fulfillment in, that, in him is what allows you to grow in the darkness. Amen. Amen. We're in downtown Verse 3 or, uh, Point 3 If the law and blessing is love The breaking of the law And curse of doing it Is rooted in hate Offense And bitterness If you cannot forgive The lights will be getting shut off I'm going to read this again. If the law and blessing is love, the breaking of the law and curse of doing so is rooted in hate, offense, and bitterness. If you cannot forgive, the lights will be getting shut off. 1 John 2, 9 to 11, the one who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light as there is no cause for stumbling in him but the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You know, what's interesting to me is there's a, a, there was this thing I was studying recently about animals that, that are in mines. And I don't know why I went down this rabbit trail, but just bear with me. Some of you guys are like, where are we going? Don't worry. You're along for the ride. But mine animals specifically, there were two animals that were used in mines in kind of the turning of the centuries. The first is a canary, and the second is what was called pit ponies. Now, these pit ponies were the things that brought the coal out in carts, but canaries, what was interesting is they brought canaries into the coal mines because they were so small and they were so boisterous in singing and chirping That when the monoxide levels got too high, their bodies were so tiny that they would ultimately die before any of the miners did. So a canary in the coal mine was actually a lifesaver. They'd have canaries everywhere because the idea was as long as they were singing, they were safe. But if they were quiet, there was death in the air. The second thing that was interesting is pit ponies. And these were these these ponies that they were attached to coal carts. And it actually says that the longer a pit pony was down in the mines without going outside, they had to uh, rhythmically take them out to the light and bring them back in and then out. Because what they found out is over time, they would just lose the ability to see. They would just lose it. Being in the dark so long with no gazing upon light or allowing light in, they just naturally lost the ability to see. Which is wild because when you think about it, there's no other historical phenomenon in which you just are in darkness and then just become blind. But in this instance, they would have to rigidly take the animals out of the mind because the darkness would turn their ability to see. And why I say that is because I think for a lot of us, we sit here and we don't realize that we have an unawareness of long-held offense that becomes so toxic that we stop singing or we stop seeking the light. And then the darkness starts to set in and the seeking starts to stop and the death starts to come. And I say this to you today because I feel like there are people in this room who are bitter and offended with their brothers and sisters and neighbors and are so focused on it that they don't even realize the lights are being shut off all around them into the kingdom and the presence of God. The breaking of the law. I love that this is the thing. The 10 commandments are around. There's been things forever that have been said. There's more important people who have spoke on the matter than John, but John is saying, "Hey, guess what? Follow commands. Don't hate. Follow His commands and don't hate people. Is it? Once again, it's like, God, is there more here? God, can you like, you know, follow my commands and don't hate. My closing story is this I boxed for a little over two years Now I really enjoyed boxing I was decent But what's funny is the hardest I ever got hit Was by a 15 year old (coughs) Now some of you guys are laughing I promise if this kid hit you You'd be on the ground (sighs) And by 15 he'd won gold gloves four times His dad had been a boxer and had fought Floyd Mayweather, which is a pretty famous boxer. And now this kid is now 20 and he's amateur and undefeated. So, yeah, y'all, chill out. But the reason I quit boxing, genuinely, if I'm honest, is because I didn't like getting hit. And you know, it was profound to me when I was thinking about this this week when the Lord brought this to mind. Is I, I didn't like getting hit, and so what happened is, is, is I quit. But the, re- the funny thing is, is I'd focused so much on not wanting to be hit that I almost forgot I was developing a skill set at the same time. I was developing my ability to box. I was developing my cardio. I was developing my ability to defend myself. I was developing all of this stuff, but I was so not wanting any pain that I sacrificed my development for my comfort. And I say this today because I think sometimes we are so focused on the hits that we are taking or have taken And not the resiliency we are building Faithfulness we are stewarding Cross we are carrying Hope we are pursuing No, we're focused on the pain that we felt And we're focusing so much on the hits Rather than focusing on the fruit of a life That knows how to take a hit And keep going Go after his word Guard your heart from... Bitterness and hate. Let the light shine. Amen. Take some hits. Stand to your feet. <laughs> if you've ever been here before, you know that I just pray uh, a prayer over everybody kind of related to the the service and the sermon so whatever your posture for receiving is I pray this would meet you where you are God today would you help us to know your word to love instead of hate God we want to live in the light of you and be the light of you in a dark world. We repent of a lack of hunger for your word. We repent of viewing your word more as suggestion than truth. We're sorry, God. We repent of a lifestyle steeped in culture in which it is easier to live offended than to forgive, easier to hate than to love, easier to be bitter than to fight for healing and happiness. Help us, God, to live a life submitted to your instruction and plan. Help us to lead our lives, marriages, and families in the light of you having given blueprints to build ourselves around. Today, O oh God, we take seriously the call of being a light to the world and becoming that city on a hill that cannot be hidden. May it be said of us, that our lights burned bright, that our lives were lived holy, that our hearts stayed true. In Jesus' name.